Welcome to Building It for Success, a show for leaders and entrepreneurs making big progress in Africa. I'm Kaifas and today I have Walid Abdul from Egypt. He is the founder of A Gifter. The business idea came when he was traveling abroad and he would bring some gifts for friends and family back in Egypt. And in the process, he realized that there was an opportunity to develop a business. It is such an interesting concept where an air traveler is matched with a person in Egypt who requires a product. The traveler is the air gifter and gets to make some cash too. As a traveler or air gifter, it also just improves your overall travel experience into Egypt. Walid transformed an idea into an actual business and also there is a lot to learn from his knowledge of how he's been running his business and also how COVID-19 has affected his operation and how they've managed to adapt. So, Walid, we were talking earlier and I appreciate you being here to talk to me. I would like us to continue the conversation. You are an entrepreneur and was a radio host at some point. Let us start from there. Are you still a radio host now or you stopped that and you are focusing 100% on running your business? I think I drifted a little bit from that uh, to my current uh, business career. Also, I, by the way, I'm an engineer. So I graduated uh, engineering school from Cairo University here in Egypt. And yeah, and, and I think also it's, it's somehow built the identity behind who I am today. So like the voice acting, I think, shaped a little bit how confident I can come about delivering the message that I want. And then the engineering side gave me that kind of a um, growth mindset. And, and that, that mindset is very interesting. So it's, it's, you look into things that how can I learn from this experience and how can I grow with this experience versus how I just can take... Uh, like do the experience and go home. So every experience I look, I apply for even, or every role I take, it 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 has to fill the the bigger vision of becoming maybe like a, a serial entrepreneur or becoming a, a show host, a TV show host. But those you cannot become a TV show host overnight. You need specific traits and specific uh, steps to go there. So. I usually, what I did and what I learned in engineering is that you can analytically put those steps into like maybe small jobs that you do, small freelancing gigs that you do here and there, uh, building your network. And although I think like every corner of my background, whether it's like professional background or academic background, really fits in or um, what could we call it? Like it, it um, gave... Um, a lot of input into what I uh, am becoming these days. And, and I wouldn't say like uh, uh, I've still reached the ultimate goal that I want to do, but I think I'm, I'm happy with, with what I've achieved so far. And yeah, let's see how things go. Uh, but every other aspect of being yeah, a radio show host or being on radio or television is a little bit put on hold. Okay, sounds great. Um, so please tell me more about your business that you're running now. Or like it's it's a business here in Egypt uh, and also another um, uh, uh, network in Kenya. Um, so the business here in Egypt is called Air Gifter. So basically we connect buyers with travelers who act as their personal shoppers worldwide. Meaning that if you are in Egypt and you want to purchase um, a cell phone, uh, a pair of shoes, for sure like less in price and, and, and much more higher quality than the products here in Egypt, um, you can do that with an air gifter who will buy the product and get it to you on his way back to the country of destination. And the country of destination that we started with was Egypt and uh, the country where we bring products from was and still is uh, the US. Also run uh, a network uh, in Africa called Africa Youth for Nature Network. So basically, we're trying to bring on, on board all environmental organizations and networks who um, are involved with environment and conservation. We bring them on board. We provide them with a needs assessments process. And then once we know what each of them needs, we provide them with mentorship and um, fundraising, things that specifically is designed for them to take them to the next level. 
and some of them like are uh, um, um, businesses or like organizations that have been there for 10, 10 years and others are just newly found uh, organizations or who are one or two years old. So we support both sides as well. So um, with a gifter, what made you th- move into that business? It's quite an interesting business. You know, someone travels to the US and uh, they bring something and then uh, you connect to them and um, there's an element of trust there that these people bring the, the, the product into Egypt, into the destination. How, how does that work? And um, how did you come to, to realize that it's a good business idea? Okay. So basically, there are two reasons. Before I started traveling as a normal traveler, I used to be an, an, an e-commerce um, buyer online. Like I, I purchased all the stuff online through Amazon and then I bring them with someone whom, whom I know or uh, I would use like the normal shipping um, uh, companies which I had to pay like tons of money and then when I started to be travel to travel a little bit so I started to travel to the US I tra- started to travel to Germany I realized that in every trip that I go my family my friends whoever who knows that I'm traveling would be asking me to uh, bring stuff back to my my country t- for them so I realized there is a business case here, or it could be not a business case, but there is a need, there is a demand from the consumer side. And then I said, is there a demand from the traveler side? So um, I was really intrigued. Okay, what would I take money? Should I take trips? Should I take free items? Like what exactly? And normally I do it for friends and family for free, but what what if I, I wanted to do it for more than them? And because those people are a lot, a lot of people would want to me to bring stuff uh, uh, back home. And what if other people wanted to do that with me? Would I be intrigued to do that? So I, it, while traveling, actually, this idea came to me. So why don't we fill in this gap? Let's create a platform that connects those two together. So we want someone who needs something from the U.S. to come with the nearest arriving traveler. So he would go onto the platform, place the order pay for it. But then the security part came in. Should we send this money to the buyer, to the traveler, or should we keep it with ourselves or how should we do it? So what we did is uh, the buyer pays to us, we hold the money, and then the traveler would actually be buying from their own money until they are back to the country and then they receive their money back. So it became like a win-win for both. Yes, it's an investment from the traveler side, but travelers, they do have credit cards, they do have a lot of cash on their hands and if they travel with the idea, okay, I'm going to save like $600 on this trip because I'm going to bring stuff with me back uh, as gifts to Egyptians, a lot of people would invest the amount of money that they have to pay to purchase the item so that they can get the extra $600 when they're back. And this is, by the way, like uh, around the average. uh, So it starts from $200. And it can go up to $1,000 if people like purchase a lot of stuff. But like we're, it falls between $500 and $600 of average earnings for every traveler coming in using Airgifter. It's actually a viable business model. And we, try, we started to introduce other things than money. So travelers are not going to only take, get money. So they're going to get also points. So they can collect some points. And over time, they can redeem it with trips within Egypt, they can redeem it at restaurants and different kinds of outlets where they can just take this money and make use of it, not just to be cash in their hands. Egyptians, they do love cash, but other people, because we're not only dealing with Egyptians coming to Egypt, we're also dealing, before Corona for sure, uh, with foreigners coming into um, Cairo and wanting to have a better experience in Cairo. And those, they didn't, like the money was not the most intriguing thing to them. The most intriguing was improving their travel experience. And that was actually done by providing them with free restaurant bookings and and free trips around the areas that they were uh, residing in. So um, this is how Airgifter started and how it evolved over time. And then COVID happened. We had to um hold operations till um the end of july and then in august we started to gradually bring back um our services and attracting again some of the travelers who who have started to to travel back and forth towards egypt and 
And I know like other African countries, some of them have not yet opened their borders to, um, to Europe and to the U.S., uh, but I think like Egypt was a little bit faster on that side. So this was also some, something in, in our favor where travelers have started, like I think since the beginning of uh, open, I th- they opened, it opened here, I think the 31st of Ju- June uh, or the 30th or the 30th of June. Uh, it was the first uh, day in Egypt where we are allowing travelers to come in. And since that date, I think we have received over 150,000, uh, not us, but Egypt. That big number of people are traveling. Uh, you realize that even though there is a pandemic out there, that still the need for traveling is always going to be there. And this is why like, I never gave up on Air Gifter and I still have not gave up on it. It's just that we're taking things right now a little bit slower during the COVID-19 refining our teams and everything to make sure that we are able to fulfill all the missing gaps that we had before. Wow. Interesting. So uh, tell me, your, your customers, the, the travelers, uh, anybody mm. who is coming, so if I'm coming to Egypt, do I just go into a website and say, hey, I'm coming to Egypt, uh, I sign up, and then I see who wants a gift from the where I'm coming from? It's exactly. You go onto airgifter.com, you sign up as a traveler, you add your travel details. And once your travel is 15 days away from, uh, so, so we, we first need to know, are you in the country uh, uh, that we, are, we want you to purchase from? So are you in the U.S. already or are you still going to travel to the U.S. and come back, which is, which is very different. But generally, if you are in the U.S. and we know that you are in the U.S. using our, some of the questionnaires that we do, you will have a list of items that is available right now. So, and then you hold it for 24 hours to 48 hours. And we hold it for you so that you can have the time to purchase it personally. And once you do, you just provide us that with the receipt that you have actually purchased that uh, uh, product. And once you're back here in Egypt with the product, uh, you, we just do some verifications and uh, you get your money back plus the... Uh, the extra uh, uh, earnings that you got from the item. So it, it might sound a little bit complicated. So it's just two steps. They, they add their trip, they choose the items, and maybe the third step would be purchasing the item and everything else is up to the traveler to do. Like they put it in their normal traveling bag or their carry-on, whatever. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's as if like you're getting a gift for someone you know. It's as simple as that. And once they arrived in Egypt, they uh, a courier company passes by their house or they can drop it off in one of our uh, uh, service centers and then it's very very smooth yeah it really sounds interesting so the list of items that um, a traveler will select um, are loaded onto your system by Mm -hmm. the the people that want the item so uh, if i'm the the end user i need to log into your website and then I tell you what product I need, then you keep that product to match it with the traveler. Exactly. So from the buying side, the consumer would also go on airdifter.com. They first have a calculator so they can know exactly what this item would cost after like uh, the traveler's fees and after our fees and everything. They, they know the exact price, which is 40% to 60% less than the market price. And uh, once they do, they also know uh, they, it, the item is consider pending. So uh, it, it's pending a traveler who accepts the item. Once the traveler would accept the item, you will have in your dashboard, you will know that uh, the status of your item and if it's purchased or not and everything. So everything happens from the website. Uh, soon we'll be having a mobile application for travelers uh, where they can, because travelers are always on the move. So they need something that's even more convenient than a website uh, to um, try to like uh, submit all the details of uh, the pictures and the receipts and all those kinds of things. So we're trying to make it even much easier for them to do it while they're traveling. Um, yeah, but, but it's for, for both sides, it's right now it's on the website and it's uh, for the ordering side, you can do an order within like, I don't know, a minute, <laughs> something like it's, it's, it's very, very easy to do. it. You just have to prepare a link. Like the, the most important thing is a link. You like amazon.com, whatever, uh, that is there, uh, the item that you want, you include the link and the price, and you choose from a list of 
categories that are already uh, uh, listed on our website. So it's not something that's general. We have a specific number of products that we can get that are allowed with a traveler to bring them back to the country. So if I'm ordering and um, I want my gift or my product in, say, 21 days, and um, mm-hmm. does it always happen that I get it um, in 21 days or there's some delay sometimes because there's no matching traveler? So uh, usually we what we promise is that it's before Corona for sure. It was 14 days. Um, or else you get you can get your money back um, after if it's not delivered within 14 days. But during Corona, thankfully our uh, customer base are very very loyal, so they are very we're very understanding of the situation. And uh, some of them even like didn't want to do refunds. They they told us let's wait a little bit. Um, and yeah, it, it took longer in during the, these pandemic times. But usually for us, it, the ultimate goal is with the nearest arriving traveler. That's the business model. So we connect. So as a traveler, if you're assigned, let's say we have 50 travelers. If you list an item today, the, the nearest arriving traveler will get notified first. If he does not respond to the item, the next nearest arriving traveler will get notified. And, and that's it. So one by one by one until we get the most nearest arriving traveler, which is mostly in, in the next 14 days. And then that's the thing. Like they list their arrival time in Cairo. So we know when are they arriving. So that is like two, we add two dates. Like it's, it's a lot of detail, but generally like we know the dates that they're arriving. We add a buffer time afterwards and that's it. We know when this person is going to be here and it's 14 days mostly, but we try to, uh, to make it even uh, uh, earlier than that. Wow, it's really an amazing business model. It's amazing how you can actually see that there is a lot of planning mm-hmm. behind the scenes to make sure that you have a flawless system so that you can best serve your clients. I want to find mm-hmm. out if I'm traveling, say, from South Africa, I'm going to the USA and um, I log onto your website. I say, hey, I'm going to the USA. But after the USA, I'm coming to Egypt. Do I qualify to be a traveler on the website? Of course, of course. So the, the, the most important part is that we actually don't need to know if, if you're an Egyptian or a foreigner or whatever. The, the most important part is that we know that you're coming to Egypt. And if you're coming to Egypt from the U.S., whatever your nationality, whatever your travel plans, whatever, whatever you came from, the most important part is that we manage together, uh, we manage like the timing. Because if you're staying in the U.S. for too, uh, too short of a time, this becomes a problem. And, and for this, we created what is so-called a travel advisor. So when you become a traveler and you add your contact through WhatsApp. And this person is going to facilitate everything that's not clear for you. So let's say you travel from South Africa to uh, the US on the 10th of October, and then you're leaving on the 15th of October to Cairo. So you add to your travel that you're arriving in Cairo on the 15th of October. But when you go into the website and you speak with the travel advisor, you need to tell them that uh, I will not be able to be. And that's, the, that, that's when I tell you there are questions inside that will ask you, are you currently in the U.S. or are you in another country? So if you are in the U.S., they can start sending you items or like the items are going to be um, listed on, uh, on the website. But if you're not in the U.S., once you're there, you just are going to do like a toggle button and say, I'm in the U.S., this is when you will be able to purchase items. And also it's a little bit, so the part of the travel advisor is very important also because sometimes uh, the items would not arrive on time. Um, uh, the items uh, would arrive maybe at a later time. Uh, the, the website would say, uh, so amazon.com would arrive a day later from my trip. So the travel advisor, what they do is that they go back to the buyers and if there is no other traveler that is coming, which is sometimes the case in COVID-19 situation that we have limited number of travelers, we go back and refine the order to maybe a different link or a different product or a different website. Or sometimes, and this is something that we're testing right now, offline shops. So if you are near uh, a city center or uh, a mall that, is, that has the product or might have the product, we can uh, t- ask you to uh, part of your trip to go there. And while you're enjoying your own shopping, you can just 
also shop for this item from a specific shop. But this is the, the work of a travel advisor. They research and do everything, and they come back to you to tell you there is this shop in this place where you can visit and buy it from. So uh, I hope this answers your question. Yes, it does. Sounds great. Thank you. Now, earlier you mentioned to me about the point system that you have introduced. So as a traveler, when I get to Egypt with the product that I've bought, how do I get the points allocated to me? Yeah, yeah. so the, at, at this stage, the pointing system, is it's done like on, on the website, but it's not uh, released to the public yet. So right now, the only active one is uh, the financial incentive, so the mo- getting the money. Uh, but we have tested it like in an unofficial way with some of our foreigner travelers um, um, who, who were coming, and it was very successful. But right now, it's not still uh, published yet. But it's basically you for every item that you bring, you get a certain number of points, and those points are going to be reflected either with a specific trip or a reservation or something tangible, or it can be redeemed with cash directly. Sounds great. So let's go back. When did you start a gift again? I, from reading your work, I realized that you had a company before and then at some point you then rebranded to a gifter. So uh, before Air Gifter, we were called Ship and Bag. So we Ship and Bag started in 2017, May 2017. And later uh, in 2019, I think the September, actually we rebranded to Air Gifter. And this has a very interesting story. So before we were labeling ourselves as a shipping company, which at, with time we realized that we're actually not a shipping company. We are a gifting company because the act that the traveler is doing to bring something from abroad to someone here in Egypt, they are bringing gifts uh, through the air. So we realized, okay, we're bringing gifts through the air. So it's time to name our travelers as air gifters. And then this is the idea came out of it and we became air gifter. That's actually a very interesting name. I like it. I like it very much. Um, so when you started the business, um, did you do a market research or you just went into it? For sure. So so um, Ship and Bag, or before it was named renamed Air Gifter, um, was part of, a, or what, what do we call it? Um, an incubation program uh, where they take, it was just a starting idea back in February 2017. Um, and then they take you through the process of market researching and competitive landscapes and going into the market and testing on the user and defining the pains and the gains and why, what is exactly the business model and trying and doing all the kinds of experimentation. So that was over a duration of five months. Then in uh, July, uh, July 2017, it was like, it was like s- sort of a, a program where we had we won at the end and this is when we moved on to the next stage which is the acceleration program which now you have a business and now you have uh, um, an idea that is actually working let's move on to the next stage to get it growing a, a little bit and this second stage also happened in 2019 um, so yeah, during that time, for sure, at the beginning, we, we did all those kinds of market researching. We had the surveys and we went to the users and we, we went into the street. Basically the idea, it, it started with a Google form. So we would go to a traveler and, and uh, on, online or, or on social media and say, whoever is traveling guys, just add your details. If you're traveling from the U S to Egypt, just add your details here. And for the buyers, we just tried that it was exactly the beginning of the idea. And it was super interesting that this for us was what we call the minimum viable product. We knew at that time, okay, there is a a strong need from the the buying side. And there is a strong uh, um, number of travelers who are coming from the U.S. to Egypt. And we also, by the way, tried different other markets. So we tried the German market, Germany to Egypt. We tried the UK market from the UK to Egypt. Um, but one that really stood out of them is the US. And that's what we went. And also we tried the, uh, the UAE or the Gulf area with Egypt as well. Um, but the one that stood out was the US. So we, we went for it and we expanded on that uh, market. 
but yeah, it's, it, it, it's definitely was part of a market research that was on so many levels. It started with this Google form and then it went on and on and on with and a website and, and then a social media page and then a chatbot system where people were ordering stuff online. So we did all the, like, the, the, the basic ideas until we had this full, fully functional website where people can now do everything that we have validated through the very minimal ways. That's amazing. You had to do market research to understand the market um, and then launch your business. So as the main founder, were you doing this alone or you built a team from the beginning? So yeah, so uh, we started with three members as co-founders uh, back in, in the program from uh, the acceleration program uh, or the incubation program. Um, and then like over time we were started hiring people. So the customer service team, the logistics team, the uh, having our own stocks here in Cairo uh, and someone who needs to be handling it. Uh, we had the marketing uh, team. We hired uh, a company to do that, uh, graphic designers. So we, we over time, and that's the thing also, we, at the beginning, we were burning a lot of cash, but then we realized, okay, we need not to burn all that cash on a lot of people, uh, uh, hiring a lot of people. We need to do what is called bootstrapping at the beginning until we have a stable revenue coming in or an investment uh, coming in, and then we can invest more money into uh, the human power. So majorly at the beginning, we it was just the three of us, the co-founders. And then once we needed uh, the extra support, uh, we, we started hiring uh, some freelancing people and then some part-time jobs. And now those part-times became full-timers. Bootstrapping. Um, first time to hear that. Um, what is bootstrapping? Okay. So bootstrapping is that the three of us the co-founders, we had talents. So the role, so let's say I was someone else with a technical co-founder and then someone else was the operational co-founder. And those are the three pillars, by the way, for any company to thrive is business, operations, and technical side. So bootstrapping is simply, if I know how to do marketing, I can do part of my work would involve uh, doing the business side, but also designing some of our social media posts. If I'm good at content writing, my job would include business side, content writing, and marketing. So it's the, the gaps that we have in the business according to our talents. So if someone can do the marketing, they can do it. If someone can uh, get us networks that can help us uh, uh, find a partner, a specific partner, you can do this thing. Like we shouldn't be just doing the exact job role because essentially we, at the beginning, we are not paid. So we wanted to minimize the amount of payments that we were doing. So we used all our talents or our time and all our efforts to to fill in all the gaps that there were that was there in the startup at the beginning. And then once you start having revenues and once each of those bootstrapped roles become very um, um, significant, now it's the time you need to hire someone to, to help you with that role. Or if you don't have the talent for it or if you do, don't have the know-how for it, um, um, you need to outsource it. But the thing is about bootstrapping also is that there is a learning curve. So you might not know how to do marketing, for example, and like how to run ads on Facebook, but that's the part of bootstrapping. You can actually go overnight or like for a couple of nights straight uh, working on it and learning and reading online and doing it by yourself until you, you, you have the know-how for it and then you start, okay, guys, I learned it the last three days. I learned this. Let's use it in our startup. So bootstrapping also helps you accelerate your knowledge and acquire much more data and much more information that can get you through uh, uh, the challenges that are met at the startup. And by the way, like every single day, you have a challenge that you need to solve in a startup. And you don't, if you don't have that bootstrapping mindset where you... You don't need to wait for the person who's doing the role to come in and do it versus jumping in and, and doing in this role 
this is what differs a startup from a corporate. A, a corporate will have to go back to the person who is responsible and this person who is responsible has to do something about it. But in startups, you have to be what we call agile. You have to be very, very agile uh, about what you're doing. And if you can, and if you have the capacity to solve a, a challenge that is there right now as a co-founder, it is your job to do so. That is really an interesting learning there. Um, so when you started in 2017, you were the three of you. Uh, at what point uh, in terms of um, the time period from the time you started the business, did you realize that now you need to then bring in some new people to take those additional roles from you, the three of you? I think, I think after the first year, that was after the first year because the first year also is 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 a very um um what would i call it um usually the first two years are very fluctuating but the first year is is when and this has happened with us like some of the co-founders might decide they don't want to go on because then they they have other commitments that they need to work on um you realize that there is a lot of uh, aspects involved with running a startup and this that might be not the best cup of tea for everyone so and that's the thing startups and entrepreneurship is not for everyone it's for the people who are able to persevere and and do the work because it's a lot of hard work uh, all the time you're working endlessly all the time so i think it took us around a year to readjust also our teams and um, like plan our financials really strongly and have clarity on the way forward. And then after that year, we started yeah, to, to invest with the money that we have into the right uh, uh, personnel that we needed for the startup. And also, by the way, during the first year, we, we were not generating profits. We were still and making the idea work. Of course, like we were getting revenues, but we were not getting profits. We, 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 were, we, like, generally in startups, we, we, are not look, we were not looking for profits. We were looking for generally creating revenues. But we can be spending more than uh, the revenues or the, uh, the, the profits that we get. So it's a negative cash flow, they call it. So, it the, so, so we spend more than we gain, but we were creating revenues. But the idea of a startup is that uh, to, we need to grow the business. We need to grow the user base. We need to um, accelerate uh, uh, the growth of the actual business versus the growth of uh, uh, profits or creating profit. And this is also different schools in entrepreneurship. So there are schools who go towards the idea, no, we want to be self-sustained. So we want to be profitable from like after six months, we need to be profitable so that we can go on with this business. But the model that I was uh, using, and some, some people would argue it's not the best model, but for me, it, it worked, is the fact that uh, the, uh, we, need, we raised investments. So we created revenues, good amounts of revenues, but we also spent good amount of expenditure to build the team. And then the more revenues you get and the more expenditure you do, you realize there, there is a cash deficit. You need, a, you need more money to run the company. So this is where you go and get an investment, sustain you for the next 12 months. And then you go again after 12 months, how much did you grow? Is it 100%? Is it 150%? Now we need another investment so that we can accelerate the growth even more. So um, the idea of having profit early on some startups do have it, but this is more or less like a self-sustained business versus a growth-driven business, which mostly would not focus on creating profit, but rather than uh, having high revenues with, uh, with a lot of expenditure, increasing the expenses, but those expenses have to be tied with very also increasing revenues. If I was correctly like... Um, explaining it or did I, it came out correctly but yeah this is the idea about it yeah it, you, you're really explaining it very well so you you mentioned something about co-founders um and um that sometimes uh, some co-founders might think that well they need to pursue something else and having listened to a number of entrepreneurs there are some co-founder issues and um um 
how are you managing that and how's that working for you the most important part about co-founders is, that i've learned over the years because i've had uh, two co-founders come in and leave and i was like the dominant factor in um in the equation uh, the, the most important part in running a startup is to define who is the dominant co-founder and then who is the recessive co-founder and i know this so- might sound weird to some of the people who are hearing us but there are co-founders that if they leave the startup the startup would fall off and and never go on so um the idea here is is not to just maintain co-founders it's it's to make sure that you're choosing the right co-founders so for me uh, what i've learned over the last uh, 3 years running uh, air gifter is that you need to bring a co-founder that has an added value and doesn't do whatever that you actually do so one of one of my co-founders uh, the the reason we we had this disagreement is that both of us were doing somehow the same job and and the roles were were the same and 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 then there was like who's doing what and the roles were not really clearly defined but once you have like okay i need a co-founder who has 1 2 3 4 and is that is passionate about this idea to that to some extent which which also is very very important in uh, entrepreneurship that you don't don't just get a co-founder because they are good at what they do they need to be passionate about the idea and that's so hard to find so my 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 case would be uh um i they were my college friends so we, they were together in university um the three of us and then uh, one left after some time because he got an offer uh because also um and that's the thing technical co-founder this is a very important point technical co-founder are very different from business and operations and non-technical co-founders um uh, the uh, amount of growth that they get from being in a startup is much less than the amount of growth that a business or an operations person would get uh, this is for the, for so many reasons because the business guy would be going on those business trips to the us or whatever like to 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 meet with investors to meet with partners to meet with all those people so sustaining them or finding motivations for them to stay is very high versus technical co-founders who are um, mostly inclined by either the, a good salary or uh, a good percentage in the company so also being able to understand the dynamics of each kind of role like what is the motivation of this role and this person and there is what is so called uh, the employee va- uh, the co-founders value proposition so just like in businesses we do a value proposition for our users for our uh uh buyers and travelers we make sure that we're providing them with a value through our company what we have to do also as a co-founding team is to make sure that every co-founder is fulfilled is provided an 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 value of being there and also we need to define together what is the exit plan for them and that is very important like is that co-founder going to be there for 3 years 4 years 10 years the rest of his life like what is what is the end how does it look like for that person and what is he expecting from his time in this startup and what would be the thing that would okay now i need to leave so by defining all those things in parallel with the talents and the caliber and all the 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 role needs in in terms of skills um when you align those two together you realize okay now you have found the person who is really uh uh not going to to leave suddenly and will understand that the 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 uh, how how important is it to be there uh, because like a co-founder is very different from a normal employee or even a normal family business a co-founder uh is someone who's if it's not there there the unbalance is really hard and 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 for me also even when when some of my co-founders uh, left me at some point um it 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 created this unbalance and it created this uh, um ups and downs in in the company but the idea was the next time 
I'm going to bring a co-founder. I'll make sure of one, two, three, four. And I listed all the things that I needed for the role. And then when that person, I met with him, I created the this role or of joining me on what he actually needed and the motivations in his life. And I, I based the benefit system that I will be providing him, whether financial or non-financial, on what he actually needs versus what I think he actually needs, if, if, if what I say makes sense. Yeah, yeah, this is really good. So listening to you, it's like, it sounds like I'm actually at a business school because of so the knowledge you have about entrepreneurship and, and managing a business. So next question was actually going to be, did you have an entrepreneurship background? Did you go and do an entrepreneurship um, uh, studies um, to gain the experience that you have now? So nonstop since 2017. So I started uh, with... Uh, my first trip after finishing university was to Germany in Berlin. I got certified in what is so-called design thinking. So design thinking is um, is a process where it's a human-centered process where you go to the user and understand their problems and pains and everything. And then according to those pains, you design uh, a um, a solution that actually fits what they really need, not what you think they need. This is a very important thing that I learned through design thinking. And then afterwards, I joined the Harambian program. So Harambian program is uh, is part of the Harambe Entrepreneurs Alliance program uh, um, in Harvard University. And then afterwards, I joined inside Harambians something called a knowledge transfer initiative. Um, it was also supporting us as entrepreneurs um, through like a one-year program also uh, fellowship program. And we had all those kinds of master classes in Harvard and MIT. And so I think like, I wouldn't say like they, I took a lot of information from those master classes at the end of the day, like they were, uh, uh two, three day sessions, but, um, generally it's, it, I got exposed over the last three years with a lot and a lot and a lot of entrepreneurs. And I've heard a lot of pitches and stories and, um, um, failure stories. And, and this is something that, uh, that they actually do at Harambe. They celebrate failure. So each, each of us, each one of us shares his failure story. And we actually learn a lot from it when you realize that how, how much failure is, is dictating uh, some of your next steps in life, um, you realize, yeah, you have to listen to the failures of others. Uh, so yeah, it's, it was shaped over the past three years. And I think also the engineering mindset or the growth mindset that I got from engineering school added to that layer that I was like super um, passionate about acquiring information. So I was that person who would just sometimes record meetings or sometimes uh, take notes all the time uh, and do all the hard work to, to be knowledgeable about this. And I also did a lot of uh, readings of, uh, in books and business and uh, all the kinds of books that you, you, one might imagine. So, um, I mean, uh, there, there was a lot of things involved, uh, but majorly it's the passion for learning. It never stopped. And, it, and I think if, if, it, if it ever stops, uh, um, that's, that's when the entrepreneur is going to face a lot of trouble. I learn for sure by experience, but I also ha- you also have to listen to other people's experiences and case studies uh, or, and their failures to learn from it as well. Yeah. So when you look back at, at all that you've achieved so far, what would you say probably is the one secret to your success? Uh, okay, so... I think like I, I, um, I, it would be interesting to tell you that <laughs> there is no secret sauce to success. Like success is very, very relative. I mean, every single person would have his own formula for success. And this is what I believe in. But what, what um, actually works for me uh, or worked for me was, and I wouldn't say I'm successful, but I think I've done some achievements in life. But the success is very, very relative. But what really worked for me was being honest and true to myself and my abilities and my teams and the resources that I had, and then having to manage all those resources and attributes throughout the journey. So it's, it's very important to acknowledge 
what you have. Like when I tell you I'm a voiceover artist and I, I have this talent of making use of my voice to sound very confident, like some something that God gave me, but I was able to utilize it, like presenting my work and showing off my work, which is very important. Um, another thing is is the confidence in myself. I I uh, I know that I put in the effort, and I know that I've uh, um, I've gone a long way to learn some stuff. So it's very important also to have confidence in in your abilities and to be true to your and honest about your abilities. And if you need something and if you need to learn something and if you need to work on something, I've had, I've loved those sessions when I'm sitting with uh, someone and he tell me, you need to work on this. You need to improve on this. You need to take care of this because you have this and this and this. For me, some, some people would say like, you shouldn't be like listening too much to those people. They're trying to bring you down and stuff. But I listen to every, like constructive feedback very well because those people again like they have nothing against me like they don't know me in person like they're just giving their pure feedback on what they have seen so if you're not able to take in that feedback and work with it uh, to improve and be true to yourself you're not going to go anywhere so i think what's actually also created this kind of hype about the achievements and everything is the fact that I, I was always taking feedback into consideration and this feedback loop, I always have it with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, with everyone, because you, you're not living alone. You're living with other people and we need to acknowledge that at some time you're not the best, you're best virgin. So what do I need to do to be the best virgin of myself? So back to the question, the secret is no secret. It's just being who you are and trying to to be true to yourself and to what you have. And then if you're missing something, go and work on wow. it. That's good. Thank you. So uh, when you you mentioned something about um, the Arambe program and you said that they actually teach you or allow you to share some of your some of the failures that you might experience in life. Mm-hmm. In your business right now, are there some Big challenges that it felt like um, maybe at some point it felt like maybe this won't work. Uh, for sure, uh, it's it's one of the tough businesses where when it comes to uh, legalities. So part of it also is bringing stuff from one country to another and having the regulations, uh, speaking about all the regulations and everything. So we based our system on like the best practices in terms of regulations for every country that we operate in. Uh, this was somehow not not a deal breaker, but it's something that we, we was worrying us for a specific uh, amount of time until we mastered it and we knew all the ins and outs about it. Um, but back to your question, I think like there were many challenges along uh, the journey, um, and there are still challenges right now, including COVID nineteen happening because. Some of our investors, not our investors, but some of the investors uh, that we speak with are like always skeptical. Like, is this model as going to be as as attractive or as nice as it was before? Um, my my idea would be it will be, but it needs to take time. It needs it needs to take its time to uh, uh, evolve and um, um, for COVID nineteen to go a little bit. Uh, um, away and we we have to wait so we think need, we need to wait and we need to uh improve on the model a little bit and like we introduced a new uh thing to the business we call it save it with an air gifter so we realized that some of our uh, uh travelers are actually living in egyptians living in the u.s so we created this um, new feature where you can actually save an item with an air gifter for up to 90 days and then if you or someone you know or a friend or uh, an air gifter later on is able to bring it uh, with him back they can take it directly from the person in the u.s without having to go through uh, the hassle of of bringing it back to the country and and this we introduced it after COVID 19 was like locking up everything. We realized, okay, people are still wanting to order stuff from the from abroad, but the time factor is going to be changing. So let's introduce something like this. So I mean, it's the what's worrying to me or what I think about all the time is 
um, how COVID-19 is going to affect um, the continuity of the business. Because we, as, I, as I told you, we've re, uh, resumed our services, but we are in a gradual phase uh, of, of operation. So it's not as, as good as it was back in March. In March, it was really growing, but now it's just coming back gradually. But I mean, once COVID is, is done or once COVID is very clear or they find a vaccine, I think the idea of people traveling and people buying is not going to change. People are not, still want to buy stuff from abroad and people are still are going to still want to travel. So those two things, dynamics are not going to totally change. The way things people travel and the pay, way people buy is going to definitely change. And we need to be um, like over uh, those changes to, to uh, and aware of those changes to be able to shift our models and everything. But I think it's the, the general idea of buying and traveling is never going to, to stop. But that's why I'm not too worried, but I'm very practical about my decisions when it comes to Air Gifter. Okay. Uh, so Walid, when you look at um, um, your business now, earlier on you mentioned uh, some of the things that you're doing, uh, thinking the environment, right? Um, what is the link there or is there any link with, the, with Air Gifter? Started focusing on like the climate change and how to mitigate 2017 i had a trip to uh or like was about to have a trip to uh, the cop 23 the um what is it called um uh conference of parties um it's done every year in in one country uh and it's it's a conference that focuses mainly on uh conservation of nature and climate change and how we can uh, manage our resources and like the carbon footprint and all those kinds of things. So I got engaged really into this topic back in 2017. And I kept like attending conferences and attending stuff till uh, May 2019 when uh, I attended a c- conference in Kenya uh, about nature also and about youth engagement. And th- this is when actually I was going just speaking about uh, shipping bag and we were doing a project invited me, but they invited me as like a, a business consultant. And then there they introduced and said that after the conference, they said, okay, we want to actually create this kind of network um, where we bring all those people together. And would you be interested to, to be joining us and everything happens <laughs> and everything else is history. So I just realized I was part of a, a 15 people team uh leading uh, um um not i wasn't leading at the beginning but over time like i was voted in as the uh a general secretariat for the africa youth for nature network uh, this is the network and it's it, it happened and and i think like i'm very very um lucky to be in in that position next to me with all the challenges that the african continent and this is also why i joined harambe because those two whether the, the, the network or the Harambian community, they connect me really deeply with the African continent and the needs of the African continent. And one of them uh, is how to mitigate the effect of climate change uh, and environment, environmental threats on, on the African continent. So, yeah, this is where I got involved. And, yeah. Interesting. The Harambe uh, program, um, do you mind explaining more about that? Because it really sounds like something good. Maybe myself, I can also just join there. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's uh, basically uh, it's, it's for entrepreneurs in Africa who are working on um, ventures that are market creating. So uh, my venture, for example, Air Gifter, it's, it's something that creates uh, uh, um People here in Egypt could be uh, wanting to purchase something, and then the travelers, uh, a group of travelers, could could say, "Okay, let's travel as a group to get as much items as we can." And then we, it's it's sort of a market creating. And also, we had this idea where we bring foreigners back to Egypt, uh, or not back to Egypt, but bring foreigners to Egypt, and then uh, we would give them free trips and so and so. Um, they have a lot of criteria. Like I, I wouldn't. Um, say like a specific criteria, but they generally are very, very um, promising growth market creating startups. Uh, Then they invest in the person. So they don't invest in the startup per se, 
but they invest in the people they bring. So if you apply as a Harambian, uh, it's more like for a master's program. I literally, it's, it's literally like, uh, I don't know, a 14, 15 pages uh, of information that you need to fill and essays. And it's, it's like you're filling a master's program. It's a very, very hard process. But um, once you get in, you become part of a community that's very, very, very supportive in many ways. So they provide you with um, mentorship for your startup. They provide you, they have what they call the Harambian uh, um, uh, symposium. So uh, Bretton Woods symposium every year in Bretton Woods in April, but not this year. They had to postpone it. And then starting that symposium and moving on, it's all about opportunities and connection. So um, they provide you with mentors. They provide you with advisors. They, they have fellowships that open up. They have funding opportunities that open up. They have also support, they can support you in, if you applied for a master's program and got accepted, they can fund you uh, uh, according to some of the scholarships that they have. So it's like giving you the full package. In addition, that it's a lifetime thing. So I think that the, the great thing about the Harambee community, it's that it's a lifetime thing. You, you're part of a lifetime network that can like you can just message them. I need the contact of this person in Nigeria and they will get you the number. I, get, I need this, the, the number of this investor in Silicon Valley and they will get you the contacts. And, and having that power of connectivity and of network um, is something that I've never, ever seen in any. This was by far my best experience. And they try to support you as much as they can. Like I can tell you that I spoke with... Uh, Stedman Graham, the, the husband of Oprah Winfrey, wow, interesting. as part of one of the podcasts that we have with the Harambian community. So that gives you like how the amount of exposure that you get. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's super. It's Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So before we end the conversation, can you please advise someone out there with an ambition to start their own business? What does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? What are the lessons that you have learned so far that you feel are valuable for anybody who wants to be a successful business owner? Uh, that's a tough question. <laughs> but what I would say, um, solopreneurs, you cannot grow alone. This is This is like the most important thing that I've learned over my journey, that you cannot, as an entrepreneur, you cannot grow your business alone. So you have to invest a lot of your time in learning how to build teams, to sustain and engage your team, to leverage partnerships. So because partnerships is a huge part of the growth of you as a venture or an, as an entrepreneur, you cannot do anything alone. And also you need to, Find cooperations and partnership opportunities within with other businesses in the same market. And that's also another thing that has got us through COVID-19, that we were able to partner and, and work with existing ventures in the same industry, the tourism and the travel and uh, the e-commerce industry. And we tried to support each other, whether financially or non-financially, but to have that kind of uh, entrepreneurial support and uh, cumulative support as uh, teams together is very, very important to build teams and to build relationships and to build partnerships and to build your network. Because, I mean, the Harambia community, why do I value it so much? Because it is the community that I can rely on. It's someone that I, I can message anyone or call anyone right now if I'm having trouble in my business or I need support in some part of my business. It's the network effect that is um, created from focusing all your efforts on building a strong network. So if, if I would give an advice, build the team, sustain the team, leverage partnerships and surround yourself with a strong network right now. Wow, that's really a powerful advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, any plans to expand your business outside of Egypt, maybe other parts of Africa? 
Okay, so uh, we actually like we were in, in the process in March to expand in South Africa. <laughs> we, we had like multiple leads and we had a partnership in place in South Africa and everything. But uh, all that was actually put on hold due to COVID-19. But I think um, the opportunities in Africa are a lot. So we're speaking about the uh, uh, Moroccan market. We're speaking about the Ethiopian market. We're speaking about the South African market. Lots of those markets are very, very similar in a sense to the, the way Egyptians are dealing with buying stuff from abroad and, uh, and, and, and the purchasing power and everything. So I think it's, it's, it's very soon that we're going to uh, revive conversations of expansions. But for now, we're trying to sustain the business and look for changes in the business itself to make sure that it sustains during and beyond the pandemic. Awesome. So, Walid, I wish you the best as you build your business further, as you build strong teams, strong partners, and great networks. As you said earlier, these are some of the things that entrepreneurs need to work on for them to build successful businesses. Now, as we wrap up, any final thoughts from your side? I actually haven't had a similar conversation like on like that's recorded or anything with that amount of depth. So, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I- I am really honored to have spoken to you going into so much detail and I've actually learned a lot about how an idea can be transformed into a real business. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was Walid Abdul from Egypt, the founder of Airgifter. Thank you for listening. So next week, we have another guest, this time from Mozambique, sharing how an entrepreneur started his fashion design business from just $3 invested into a pair of shorts. So stay connected by clicking the subscribe or follow button to receive updates on the new episodes. Also, I appreciate your reviews and ratings on any of the episodes. Thank you.